he wants them to come to Christ through the power of God. And if that means he's in the background, that's fine with him. He wants the power of God to be first. Now, he's talking about here, he didn't come with eloquent words and wisdom but preaching the mystery of the gospel. Now, we've talked about the mystery of the gospel uh, in the other Pauline letters that we've, we've dealt with. Um, this time, he's emphasizing the mystery. Um, in some books, he emphasizes the mystery is that the gospel is for both Jews and Gentiles. But here, he's emphasizing the mystery that it was something that God hid and then revealed. And we'll see that later in the, in the chapter. And then he says, for I decided not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and whom cru crucified. So we, we've heard that verse many times before. We don't want to think that Paul was going along preaching, and then he decided one day, well, he'd only preach Christ. That's what he always did. But he's reaffirming that he decided that that is the prime message and that would continue to be the prime message. Uh, he uh, determined, decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay. For I came in weakness, in fear, in much trembling to you. All right, what is Paul referring to here? By the time Paul got to Corinth, he had been through much on this second missionary journey. In Thessalonica, he was uh, beaten. First in Philippi. In Philippi, he was put in prison. In Thessalonica, he was beaten. In Berea, he was run out of town by the Thessalonians that came down to Berea. In Athens, he preached this sermon at the Areopagus that basically had no effect. And then he came to Corinth. So imprisoned, beaten, run out of town, and not much good happening. That he sums up as I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Because by then, he didn't know what was going to happen in the next town. Paul's expressing a lot of human emotion here. Uh, we always think of him as the bold, grand man who, who went around fearlessly 
Well, here's he expre- he expresses what he really felt after this series of travels that he came um, in weakness. And my word and my preaching were not in um, persuasive wisdom of words. There's three words there. In the persuasive wisdom of words. But in the demonstration or to demonstrate the spirit and power or in demonstration of the spirit and power. So this is the emphasis. He did not want to come to these places known as the great orator and speaker and using words to persuade men. He wanted them to come to Christ in the spirit and the power of God. And that he knew would happen through the preaching of the word. Not through him. He wanted the emphasis on the word, not on him. And so that's why he says, not in the uh, persuasive wisdom, persuasive wisdom words. Okay. But so that when people come to Christ, it demonstrates not that he is a great preacher, but that it is the power of God working through the word. That's what he wants to emphasize. That's what he wants to emphasize. Okay. For what reason? In order that your faith might not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. He doesn't want their faith based in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. We spoke wisdom to the mature. Now, now he's switching the definition a little. Here, it's not worldly wisdom. It's godly wisdom. We told we taught godly wisdom to the mature. Now, to the mature in their faith, at this juncture in the letter, those in Corinth are probably thinking, oh, we're mature. We're, he, he spoke to us as mature. And he's going to pull that rug out from under him real soon. Okay. There was no room for them being haughty or proud of, of themselves uh, at this point. Okay. And then he defines wisdom in verse, uh, uh, the rest of the verse. Wisdom not of this age nor of the rulers of this age, which are coming to nothing. 
Okay. So in other words, the wisdom he is teaching, the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of the ruler, the rulers of this world, that's not the basis of his message. Not the basis of his message. Because that's coming to naught. Now, the rulers of this world, that immediately makes us think of a passage in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Let me see if I can find it right quick. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay? So uh, that makes us think of that. Um, whether he is referring to earthly rulers or demonic rulers or a combination of both. But he's not, he's saying that's not the kind of wisdom I teach. Not the kind of wisdom, not the kind of wisdom the world wants to hear. Okay? Not the kind of wisdom the world wants to hear. But that's what he's teaching. Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery which has been revealed, which God foreknew, foreordained uh, before the ages uh, for your glory. Okay, now here the mystery. He's calling it a mystery because God revealed it. Now, notice it says that God foreordained this before the ages. And we put this with other passages, and what we realize is God had his plan in place before the world was created. God knew, God knew that man was going to sin. And God planned to send Jesus Christ to save us. The fall of man into sin was not a surprise to God. It was in, he knew it would happen, and he planned on how to save us once the sin came. So what he's saying, Paul's saying is, now he's revealed this that he knew all this, that he planned for all this, that he planned to send us a Savior. And this was a mystery to us until it was fulfilled. The prophets spoke of it, but most people didn't have any clue what they were saying. But now God has revealed that he had planned for this all along. And notice that what it's for, it's for your glory. 
That's you. He planned it so that you would inherit heaven. You would inherit glory. Remember, Paul says the present sufferings are not to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in you. So God had this plan before the foundation of the world for your glory to give you eternal life. And here we see the tremendous love of God that in spite of the fact that we destroyed his creation, he loved us so much he planned to save us. He planned to save us. And then he says, which the rulers of this age did not know. For if they knew, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. If they realized this, they wouldn't have crucified him. The phrase Lord of glory is a loaded phrase. So often, People talk about, yes, Jesus died on the cross. And they think only of Jesus' manhood. That Jesus, the man, died on the cross. The Lord of glory says that's incorrect. Because the Lord of glory was not, was not Jesus the man. The Lord of glory was the Son of God. Okay? When we are dealing with Jesus Christ, we never say, he did this according to his human nature, or he did this according to his divine nature. So he wept at Lazarus' tomb as true man, and he raised Lazarus from the dead as God. We never, ever do that. It is the one person. Jesus Christ, God and man. He was not 50% man and 50% God. He was 100% man and 100% God in one person. One person. And we do not divide that person because when he did something, no matter what it was, when he wept, when he raised the dead, when he got hungry, 
when he healed the sick, the person was doing it was the one person, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. So, when Jesus died on the cross, God was crucified too. Okay? Because of this union, we do not separate it. Jesus Christ, true God and true man, died for us on the cross. And the word Lord of glory emphasized that. That's beyond our comprehension. But that is the way the scriptures explain it. We don't divide the person. We don't divide the person. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, now this is a quotation. Well, it's kind of a quotation and it's kind of not. It actually comes, uh, it's closest to Isaiah 64, 4. But what it says here is, what I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor is risen in the heart of man, which God prepared for those who love him. Now, in other words, no human eye saw it, no human word heard it, no human heart came up with it. God prepared it for those who love him. Now, let me read you Isaiah 64. Four, and it's kind of like it. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No, I have seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. So Paul was, um, Paul was. Uh, trying to take that verse and truly uh, glorify God. That nobody had figured this out. Nobody knew God was going to do this. The great acts of God, that God prepared this for those who love him. So Paul can do that when he is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. We don't go around changing the word of God. But he just explained it better. And he explained it better based on the fact that Christ had come. And we knew what Christ would do or had done. All right. Um. God uh, revealed, uncovered to us, or this, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches diligently all things, even the depth 
of God. Okay, so God revealed this to us. The Holy Spirit is going to get to the fact that it's really the one that revealed it to us. Made it so we could understand it, worked in our hearts. Because the Spirit knows the things of God. Even the depths of God. And by depths, he, he, depth of God, he means the mystery. He, he means the mystery. From the depth of God. For that, and then he gives a human analogy. For no one knows what is of man or what is what are the things of man except the spirit of the man who's in him. Okay? So in other words, to truly uh, know a person that only the spirit of that person in their heart knows really that person. Now he's going to draw the analogy. So, uh, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Okay? See the analogy he's drawing? You can't tell about another person truly You can't tell about the things of God unless the Holy Spirit tells you. Okay? Unless the Holy Spirit tells you. All right. Um, you, we received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God. And um, so we know what was graciously given to us by God. So the Holy Spirit has uh, given to us the gifts of God. The gracious gift. The word. The word is gracious. Uh, graciousness. Okay, has given us the graciousness. Okay, of uh, from God. In other words, God's grace is the sending of His Son Jesus Christ for us, and all the attendant gifts that Jesus Christ. One for us. So the Spirit is revealing to us the gifts of God. The gifts of God. And we know that this happens through the Word, through our baptism, and gifts even the Lord's Supper. Okay. These are God's means of grace to give us the gifts of God. 
And that's why it's so important for us to be in worship. Because that's where we receive the gifts. Okay? And that's the most important thing about worship, that we receive the gifts, that God graciously gives us the gifts. And we spoke not in the instruction of man's wise words, but in the instruction of the Spirit, spiritual things interpreted to spiritual people. So now he's emphasizing that what we gave in our preaching was not from the teaching of man had nothing to do with the teaching of man. It was the Spirit teaching spiritual things, literally the things of God, to spiritual people, interpreting them for them. So in other words, when somebody hears the Word of God, it is the Spirit that applies that in their heart. Okay. He interprets spiritual things to spiritual people. Okay. Now, all this time, the Corinthians are thinking, man, we're good. We got the Spirit. We got everything. That's going to stop shortly. And then comes a very important passage. And Don, you can ask about altar calls again. Okay. The spiritual man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to know because they are spiritually discerned. All right, who is this? The natural man is any sinful human being that does not know Jesus Christ. And that person cannot understand anything of Christ and God Unless the Holy Spirit teaches him, he cannot do it on his own. Without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. Because they are spiritually discerned. The person that does not know Jesus Christ and does not, no. Uh, God has no way to make that leap him or herself. They are totally helpless and totally without God until God comes to them. 
so that all the glory for anyone that comes to Christ is totally God's. We do not decide we're going to believe. We do not will to believe. We do not want to believe. When we are a natural man and woman born in this world, we do not have that ability at all. No credit can ever be given to a human being for being saved. No credit whatsoever. There is no human participation. You cannot save yourself. God has to save you. And that's the only place there's any actual comfort. You are a sinful person. If some of your salvation depends on you, then you always have to ask the question, have I done enough? Have I done enough? And there's no comfort in that at all. Our comfort comes from the fact that God saved us. Our comfort comes in knowing he does it perfectly. Our comfort comes in knowing Jesus Christ did it and God accepted it. Our comfort lies in God, not in us. And if we trust in ourselves, we've got a problem. Which is why we don't have altar calls. Because that immediately says, I got up and went cold. I decided. It leaves the door open for a person to think that they did something themselves. How do you deal with a person? How did I deal with a person who came and said, I've decided to follow Jesus? I said, no, you haven't. Okay? You have not decided to follow Jesus because you can't. And you will never, ever in your life have any comfort because you're always going to be asking, have I done enough in following Jesus? And then you explain the reason you can say that you're following Jesus as the Holy Spirit has worked through you through his word and God has saved you. Okay? You have to rip out all human support. 
our salvation relies totally on God. So this is a very important passage. Okay, then it says, the spiritual man judges everything, but he is judged by no one. All right, in other words, the spiritual person can read the scriptures or read the times and judge them because they hear Holy Spirit's working in him. But outsiders, natural people, the people that don't know the things of God cannot possibly judge a believer. When an unbeliever judges a believer, it's false. Okay? God's the only one that judges. Unspiritual people cannot judge spiritual people, is what it's saying. Okay? That's what it's saying. And then it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who's instructed him? But we have the mind of Christ, because God has given it to us by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. That mind of Christ is seeking, the Spirit is seeking to work in us to make us a new human being. A new person in Jesus Christ. All right, let me stop there and see if there are any questions or comments. Yes. So, Beth asked, you know, he spends an awful lot of time talking about human wisdom, human words, a uh, long time. Uh, do we know why he did this with a Corinthian Christian? Uh, anything, uh, or those in Corinth, anything would be conjecture. But um, the Greek society was very much steeped in philosophy. That may be part of it. The other thing we talked about the first week is there was every religion under the sun in Corinth. They worshipped anything. Okay. And so that's the best we know. It was a very diverse group of people that came from all backgrounds and all religions. And I think he was basically saying, all this is useless, will come to naught, except this wisdom. But he does go on about it a long time. It is. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. Um, and, and thank you for that. Uh, there are, unfortunately, too many uh, denominations that will tell a person, stop sinning and follow Jesus. 
You can't stop sinning on your own. You can't stop sinning on your own. It's impossible. And that's not a prerequisite for God saving you. God saves you because you are a sinner. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's one of them. Um, I, I've read the bondage of the will. There are several key passages, uh, and this would be one of them. But, um, uh, yeah, it's a very important verse. It, it, it's a very important verse because it truly puts it into perspective that we can do nothing. Okay. It's very powerful that we have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit has worked that in us. Okay. Now, of course, the Corinthians thought they were hot stuff. They were the mature. And then comes chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. They were not mature. Paul did not consider them to be mature. He could not preach to them, teach them the deep things of God. Now, he's not saying they're not saved. He's not saying that. Not at all. But he's calling them infants. They know the basics. And why does he say they're still infants? Well, verse 2, he goes on, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And then he tells them why. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. And he gives them an example. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So he has run the tables on them. The vision was the reason he wrote to stop the division. He then paints a picture of how things should be in listening to the wisdom of God being interpreted by the Spirit. And then when they think they're uh, on top, he pulls the rug out from under them and says, no, you're not mature. Because if you were, you were mature, you would not be saying, I am in Paul and I'm of a palace. Now, notice now he's cut Cephas and Christ out of the deal. Because evidently, the factions of Paul and Apollos were the biggest ones. When there is that kind of strife and division among you, you are not mature. 
when there is that kind of strife and division, you are acting in a fleshly way. And you need to be fed milk, not solid food. When those things are gone, you can grow. But he's basically saying, uh, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, but you can't grow more spiritually and you let you cut out this strife and jealousy among you, even in the church. You can't, you can't grow spiritually with this barrier there. And so I can't give you solid food. All I can give you is milk. And so just as quickly as they get a little haughty and proud, Paul says, you have no basis to be that way. No basis at all. Okay, any final thoughts? Yeah, Jim. I'm sure he would. Uh, Apollos was a very uh, bright man, very smart man. Uh, Paul considered him uh, an expert, and Apollos would have never condoned this. Peter wasn't even there. And, and so uh, I'm sure Apollos was giving the same message. Yeah. It is. It is. And we have to realize that Satan is going to work very hard to divide the church. Satan is going to work very hard to turn us against each other. And we have to be alert to that. We have to be. The real enemy is not each other. The real enemy is Satan. Yeah. Correct. Ruth is saying the same thing as happened there is going on in the church today, and it is. Not only local congregations, but the church at large. And it happens all the time. We need to keep our spiritual eyes open and realize that we are not enemies. Satan is the enemy. Satan. Okay. We will continue with chapter 3 next week. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.